More Lakers talk right now. Is this the year that Anthony Davis steps up his game even more, that he puts himself in a position, puts the Lakers in a position that they could depend even more on him? He takes the load. He's the conversation for most valuable player. Because I I think LeBron, even as he tailors off, his skill set will have him still be one of the best in the world. Lakers talk continues here on 710 ESPN. Here's Sliwa. All right, uh, appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Game two tomorrow, the Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. You could hear all the coverage on 710 ESPN. We'll also start uh, 5 a.m. Keyshawn, J. Will, Zubin, and Travis, and then Travis and I will do our show from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Um, okay, so I'll get my thoughts here on the NBA Finals. Yesterday, game one. You know, it, it's it's kind of interesting to... It's interesting to talk about the NBA Finals, and you guys know how big of an NBA fan I am, period. I'm telling Travis this morning, I'm like, Trav, you don't have to sell me on the NBA. Finals, I'm in. I guess usually, you know, what you expect in the NBA, uh, when you get to that point, the Finals, you, you expect, obviously, the best players, the best teams. And I think it's so obvious that these are not the two best teams. That okay, that one's a little bit tougher to swallow. But you know what? It's okay. This is this happens in the NBA. Um, you start looking for storylines. There's not really that many storylines in the NBA Finals. I'm gonna watch every game. It's all good. This happens. But when I say that the storylines are not there, probably the only storyline I could really think of is Chris Paul. Uh, that's the best storyline. 16 years in the NBA has never got to the NBA Finals, has a chance to win an NBA championship, left from Oklahoma City to the Phoenix Suns, took a team that wasn't even in the playoffs last year, and here they are in the NBA Finals. Um, That's the best storyline that I could come up with. Giannis, yes, he's a two-time MVP. Yes, he is a story, but he's not, you know, he's not one of those, I gotta watch. That's a player that he's must-watch TV. So, so far, and I know we're only a game in, and I was telling somebody right before the show started that uh, somebody said, what, what do you think, Al? Suns in five? I'm like, no, I actually think this will be a good series. I think Milwaukee will come back, and uh, they got good players, and this will actually be a series. But it, it's difficult. I don't think it's that entertaining of a series. So let's put it that way. Um, by the way, better get your championship right now. If you're not Giannis Attentacumpo, you want to talk about the best opportunity to win a championship. This might be the best opportunity you have, and I know he's a young player for the rest of his career. Um, Chris Paul, I don't have to tell you, you know, obviously come next season, if all these teams are coming back and they're healthy, um, you better lock up that championship now because I don't think we're going to be see, seeing a Phoenix Suns, Milwaukee Bucks, or either one of these teams in a championship in the in the near future. I was, I was trying to figure this out. So I'm saying to myself, I was talking to Travis in the morning. Where, okay, where would the Suns be if everybody was healthy? Where would the Suns be next year? So take take this team, the Phoenix Suns, and would you take the Lakers or the Phoenix Suns? Healthy Lakers, healthy Phoenix Suns. Of course, you're going to take the Lakers. Healthy Phoenix Suns or healthy Clippers? You're going to take the Clippers. You're going to take. I would take the Denver Nuggets if they're healthy. And then you can start making some arguments, Utah Jazz, Golden State. That just kind of shows you where the Phoenix Suns are. I'm not trying to take credit away from them, but this NBA Finals run so far has been an interesting Finals run because it's not the best two teams. It's definitely not the, the top, not the top 10 players or whatever the case is. So you're really going further down uh, the list to kind of describe these players, and there isn't really that much of a storyline. Who am I rooting for in the NBA Finals? 
I guess I find myself rooting for the Suns. Um, maybe the Chris Paul thing is the only reason why. Like, I, I don't mind seeing CP3 win a championship for everything that he's done. Take a listen to this. Stephen A. Smith uh, earlier today was talking about CP3, if he does win a championship, what it means as far as all-time point guards. We know what he's meant to the Suns. He's the reason, a big reason, why they're here in this, this NBA Finals series. This series, a lot of people believe, is going to make or break his legacy as an elite point guard in the game. I will say this. He's still an elite point guard in the game. But if Chris Paul wins this championship, I would put him as one of the top five point guards in the history of basketball. No disrespect to the John Stocktons or Jason Kidd's of the world, but I think about Magic, Steph Curry, Oscar Robertson, of course, the great Isaiah Thomas, and then Chris Paul. Paul is right there. I don't know what's going to do for Chris Paul's legacy, and I think it's so early to talk about that. It's only one nothing, and you know Stephen A. Smith did say uh, this is predicated on whether he wins an NBA championship. I almost want to kind of pump the brakes on that. If CP3 wins a, wins a chip, that conversation of you know where you'd put him as greatest point guards of all time, now you can have a legitimate conversation of top five, no question about it. But I, I also hear people. You know, at the end of the day, as great as John Stockton was, Jason Kidd, CP3, Steve Nash, these are all players that never won a championship. Yeah, chip matters. Of course it does. You can have the greatest individual performances, and people can go out there and say, well, it's not just about a championship. No, a championship is, you don't hear people talking about the 10 greatest players of all time, and they haven't won a championship. That just, that doesn't happen. And then when you start looking at individual players, okay, how many championships did that player have? So Stephen A saying, you win one CP3, you can be considered top five of all time. Uh, if he doesn't, then you know that opportunity that I'm talking about, you can forget about that window because I don't know how they win a championship if they don't win it this year. Um, okay, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, spent a lot of time addressing where the NBA is. Um, I, I want to a, a couple things I want to lean on. First, he talks about the injuries in the NBA. Take a listen to this because Adam Silver is talking about the specific of kind of having this NBA Finals run and or this playoff run and a lot of the key players listen uh, missing. Take a listen to Adam Silver. I have no doubt that the additional stress, again, physical and emotional on them, contributes to injuries. You know, none of it is an exact science. You know, it's, it's something that even pre-COVID, as you all know, we were very focused on at the league. We put people in place to focus exclusively on injury prevention. Precisely why we have the injuries we do is still unclear to us. It's something that we'll continue to study in the offseason. Um, the, the trend line, unfortunately, has been going up for the last several years, and that's despite the tremendous additional resources our teams have put into injury prevention, the brand-new um, practice facilities located throughout the league, the state-of-the-art equipment. It's horrific, and it's something that, um, of course, takes away um, from the competition. Look, if, if you thought that fans were upset that, man, it, what kind of a playoff run is this? What kind of a finals run is this? And we only have the main players playing in it. Can you think about what Adam Silver was thinking in his mind and the NBA was thinking his mind? NBA already got hit with, from a business perspective, there's another clip I'm going to play from Adam Silver about you know his – idea and concept of the season being a success, doing everything that they could. Before I play that, let me just kind of finish this. If you thought that we as consumers are missing out on the the product that we're accustomed to, that the best players are playing, the best teams are playing, because of the injuries, this is the situation that we're in, I can only imagine what Adam Silver's thinking, 
who, by the way, I don't know how these, you know, the ratings are going to do for the NBA Finals. We'll have to wait and see. But they got to struggle. No way these are going to have great ratings. I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this, but the vibe that I get and the vibe that, you know, I, I hear to just other uh, co-workers of mine or listening to, and I do have people hit me on Twitter and say, what are you talking about? This is very entertaining NBA Finals. These are great storylines. I'm I'm trying, you know, like I'm I'm going to be watching that game tomorrow when it airs. I'm watching a promo right now on ESPN about the game tomorrow. Um, but I, I think we will find out from a ratings perspective that what Adam Silver is talking about with these rash of injuries, how awful it's been and how it has affected the game, we're, we're going to end up seeing it from a ratings perspective because uh, you just got you got a lot of players that I don't think most people are going to go out of their way to watch. Okay, did Adam Silver think this season was a success? Take a listen to this. I mean, certainly at this point, looking back on the last year and a half, the bubble seems to have been very effective. In terms of this season, whether we started at the right time and whether we were right to conclude, you know, by July 22nd, I still maintain that balancing all these various issues, that was still the best outcome out of a variety of unpopular decisions that um that it was the best way to balance those factors but it's unclear and i'm i'm i accept the criticism i it's part of the the job you know whether it comes from players or the media or others and you know we'll see we'll and, and maybe we'll take a few years to really look back on the season to really understand what we did right and what we did wrong this is why adam silver is the best commissioner in pro sports he can look in front of a microphone. He could talk uh, in front of reporters. He can go one-on-one in a conversation, and he could admit that he's wrong on things. And he genuinely believes that. You know, hey, I, I, I'm not telling you. I think it was a successful season based on the circumstances. But you know what? Maybe, maybe we did fail. Maybe we should have done this differently or that differently, whatever the case is. And uh, I don't think too many commission. I don't think too many leaders. There's too much ego and pride that get in the way. And that's this what makes Adam Silver the best. But this, as he says, he accepts the criticism. I will say this when it comes to, you know, how the season played out. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, the NBA made it very, very clear what the number one priority was. The number one priority going into the season was revenue. That's it. And I know we could sit here and say, some say, oh, they're running a business. That's, that's all that should matter. No, I, I think there's more to it. I'm not telling you that if they'd have started a month later – that these injuries wouldn't have happened. But you cannot tell me that the health was the number one priority because it wasn't. The number one priority for the NBA was let's get the NBA game started as soon as possible. Let's start before Christmas and let's just get that cash register rolling in with some money because we know we're going to lose a lot of money over the course of the rest of the season because of fans, because of revenue from concessions and all the other stuff that COVID affected. Um, they could have started January 18th, which is what LeBron and some of these other players were hoping for. They could have started a little bit later to accommodate this short offseason. They could have decided, you know what, we're not going to get back to a regular schedule. They were trying so hard, and they're going to do it. The NBA season is going to be done. I think at the latest it can go is, I think, July 19th, something like that would be a Game 7. They're going to eventually come back to a regular season. We already got the Lakers preseason schedule out. That starts October 3rd. So the NBA did what they were hoping to accomplish. Squeeze as many games in as possible. Squeeze every ounce of revenue that was possible in this COVID season. 
I don't blame them for it, but I don't think each one of these decisions were right. And I think, you know, if they maybe took an approach that paid more attention to the workload that was going to go on the players, maybe we wouldn't have wouldn't have had so many injuries in the playoffs. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my opinion. Adam Silver says he welcomes the criticism. There's some some criticism on the NBA. Okay, the final NBA story that I want to get into. So this one, I think I, I kind of had a range of emotions on it. So Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics, the man. Jason Tatum's a unbelievable basketball player. Um, says he's honored to wear Kobe Bryant's number 10 jersey, number 10, for Team USA, that he doesn't take it lightly. Let, let me read off a couple quotes here. So obviously we know Kobe wore number 24. He wore number 8 with the Lakers. But he wore number 10 for USA um, when they got the gold medal in 2008 and 2012. So Tatum um, is going to wear that number a part of the uh, a part of USA. So this is a quote from Jason Tatum. With this being the first Olympics since we lost him, it holds that much more value. It's not something I take lightly. Um, he goes on to talk about, uh, let's see what else he says here. I want to read the exact quote here. I remember that first team when I was ho- um, hooping, wishing that I got, or I was hoping and wishing that I got number 10. Kobe, everybody knows that was my favorite player. I was 15 years old and got to wear the number of my favorite player. It just felt like I had some level of connection with him. Uh, he says it's a tremendous honor and I'll wear it proudly. You know what I actually first originally thought when I saw the story come out about Kobe, uh, about Tatum wearing number 10? Initially, I was kind of protective by it. I was like, no, no, wait, why is anybody, why does nobody should wear number 10? Like, that's it. Keep that number, number 10 for the USA and representing, you know, obviously the country in the Olympics. Kobe wore it for two different Olympic runs. Nobody should wear it. Keep that number 10 as kind of like a, it's it's similar to the Lakers, right? This is a Hall of Famers. Nobody's going to wear 32. Nobody's going to wear 8. Nobody's going to wear 24. Nobody's going to wear 33. There's certain players, there's certain jerseys that you'd never wear. And initially, my first thought was no one should wear number 10. Okay, then it kind of took a second. I read some of the quotes. I got a chance to... Um, I got a chance to kind of hear from Jason Tatum how important it is to him, how honored he is to wear it. And I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, well, what if this became more every time somebody wears that jersey in the Olympics, it's obviously representing Kobe Bryant. You're very strategic with who gets the opportunity to wear it. Maybe that's the better way of doing it rather than saying nobody wears it. So I guess I kind of convinced myself and, you know, listen, Tatum means only well and he only wants to represent a legend, a legend that we lost at such a young age in a in a tragic accident. Um, I could see how this can actually be of benefit and how it could actually uh, represent Kobe Bryant, uh, kind of continue that Mamba mentality, um, kind of represent it for the future. All right, that's what we got here for our top NBA stories. Um, Brian Windhorse. Coming up next, covers the NBA for ESPN. Nice enough to take some time to talk about the NBA Finals, and we'll obviously get into the Los Angeles Lakers offseason, how key that's going to be, what he expects from players like Dennis Schroeder and so forth. So all that coming up next. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. 
Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, welcome back to Lakers Talk. want to welcome in Brian Windhorse, covers the NBA for uh, for ESPN. Brian, thank you for uh, taking some time, my friend. I, I, I want to start with this, and I, I got some Laker questions for you, but let's let's start with the NBA Finals. Just want to get your thoughts. Thoughts on Game 1. Phoenix goes up in the series 1-0. One to, uh, to nothing. Do, you, do you think that what we saw, I know it's just one game, but that small sample size, um, what what kind of adjustments do you think the Milwaukee Bucks make, and uh, do you think this is, um, I guess, your overall thoughts on what type of series that we're going to expect? Well, the guard play for the Suns is just spectacular. I mean, it has been, you know, this entire playoff run, and, and they really had a good game plan, and they hunted the mismatch that they wanted, and Chris Paul went to work. I think it's um, a terrific sign for Milwaukee that Giannis looked like he could really play maybe not at his normal level, but close and has a, has a good potential to maybe get back there considering how scary that injury looked. So I think both sides have reason to feel good about where they're going. But Alan, I don't know if I've ever said this about a a finals game before, Mm -hmm. but this game was decided at the free throw line. Mm -hmm. The, the, um, the Suns are the greatest free throw shooting team in the modern era in the playoffs. Hmm. They shoot almost 90% from the line uh, during the playoffs. And in this game, they were 25 of 26. And the reason that's important isn't just the 25, but also the 26, because Milwaukee fouls, they're one of the lowest foul teams in the league, but yet they were able to get 13 shooting fouls um, to get up to get to that line. And, you know, Milwaukee made nine free throws for the game. And that was a 16 free throw differential, and they lost by 13. Now, normally when you hear somebody talk about the free throw differential, they think that the officiating is involved. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that the Suns did a great job of forcing the Bucks to foul them and then killing those free throws. That is a differential that uh, cannot last if Milwaukee is going to be in this series. And keep a very close eye on that as we get into game two. Yeah, Brian, I think that was one of the key here is we do get into game two uh, coming up tomorrow. You actually hear it right here on 710 ESPN. Um, is this – look, it's one game. Suns, I thought Chris Paul said it best yesterday uh, when he joined Scott Van Pelt that uh, – actually, I think it was Malika Andrews right after the game. Basically just mentioned that we didn't do anything. We just won a game. We're supposed to win. We're at home. Um, for the Milwaukee Bucks, for them to try to steal a game at uh, or in Phoenix – what, what, what do you think is going to be the key or the focus to try to walk away, get back to Milwaukee and type the series? Yeah, so they gave up 118 points, Alan. They, they, don't, uh, they need to reduce that number. So as I said, they've got to keep Phoenix off the foul line. You know, Phoenix didn't shoot the ball that great. Um, they, you know, Phoenix can shoot the ball better than that. I, Devin Booker was only 8 of 21 shooting. So they got to the foul line. The other thing is Milwaukee to win um, really has to dominate in the paint. They are one of the best paint scoring teams in the league. They're the best paint scoring team in the in the playoffs, and they averaged um, around 60 points a game in the paint in the Atlanta series. And they only had 42. Uh, in fact, they had less than the Suns 
um, in game one. They need to not only win the paint points game, they need to win it by a touchdown or two. Um, that's their game. And so they missed a lot of bunnies in and around the basket. And, you know, some of that was defense, but some of that was just uh, bad luck. And some of it was Giannis, who's, you know, just a killer, one of the greatest interior scorers in the league. Um, you know, he only made six baskets in the game. He wasn't really that aggressive going in there while he was testing that knee. So, um, you know, they need to go back and dominate that paint area again. And the concept, and I know that everybody talks about Brooke Lopez getting cooked at the defensive end, but one of the things that Brooke Lopez does is he forces DeAndre Ayton out of the paint because he can shoot the, the outside shot, and it should create room for the Bucks to score. So I expect Brook Lopez to continue to play, but they've got to take advantage of what he, what he can do for them to open up that paint. Brian Windhorst, who uh, covers the NBA for ESPN, taking some time to join Lakers Talk, uh, just covering the NBA Finals. Uh, game 2 coming up tomorrow, the Bucks and the Suns right here on 710 ESPN. Um, Brian, I want to make sure I, I spend a little time here. And, you know, obviously this is it, – it's – a Lakers offseason that I'm I'm still kind of trying to figure out, you know, obviously what the Lakers are going to do, what some of these players that have um, their future in their own hands, as in they're unrestricted free agents or they have an option in their contract. Uh, Dennis Schroeder has been a name that um, during the Lakers season was talked about. Hey, will this guy uh, sign an extension with the Lakers? Ended up not doing it, wanted to hit the open market. I'm just curious to get your thoughts. What what kind of value do you think Dennis Schroeder is going to have uh, in the offseason, and is that a player that you think um, you would assume that there's a more likely chance that he ends up with the Lakers, or you think if the right mo- amount of money is there, he might find himself somewhere else? I think Dennis Schroeder is a uh, starter-level point guard in the NBA. I do not think he's a star starter-level player in the NBA. So I do think you know he will um, you know command a contract, which is starter money, which in the NBA, depending on a lot of factors, ranges between about 15 to about 22 or 23 million a year. And um, I know he turned down 20 million a year and he did that because he thought maybe he could um, do better and maybe he can, you know, there's a number of, of uh, point guards available in free agency, um, including possibly Chris Paul. I mean, you know, I, we'll see what happens, but I think there's a decent chance he's going to opt out of that contract. Um, you've got Kyle Lowry out there. I know that Shooter is younger than those guys, but for high-end money, um, there's going to be some competition out there for him. So um, I, I think the Lakers' best bet, Allen, with all of their free agents, whether it's Taylor Horton Tucker or Alex Caruso, uh, Dennis Schroeder, what you want to do is you want to sign them to a contract that is tradable. Mm-hmm. And uh, not because you're looking to trade them instantaneously, but because the Lakers' primary uh, ability to improve is going to be through trade. Uh, you know, they've mostly spent their free agent money, and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to draft very high, and they also don't have control of their picks in the short term. So trade is going to be where it's at, and that's, that's really how I evaluate every contract that gets signed. As soon as it's signed, I ask myself, can you trade that? Sometimes the answer is absolutely. You can trade this in five seconds. Sometimes the answer is, Eh, I don't know. Sometimes the answer is no, you can't trade that right now. You'll have to see. It's got to be either A or B for the Lakers. They can't sign into a deal and be like, oh, I don't know if, if, you, can, if you can move that. Because, um, you know, and, and that's the other thing. Like, if Schroeder looks at options, will he look at teams 
that don't have salary cap space that needs that need the Lakers to work with him um, on a sign and trade. Those, those are things that come into play. And the Lakers tried to avoid this. They didn't want to be in this position. That's why they offered him an extension. And um, you know, it's going to be a, a delicate thing. It's going to require a lot of uh, shrewd negotiating. I'm I'm curious, Brian, to get your thoughts on this because you know, it obviously makes a ton of sense. Uh, uh, more guys that you have under a contract, and especially contracts that you think are reasonable. And, and let me give you an example here. We'll, we'll use Kyle Kuzma. And I, I don't know what type of value you think he has in the NBA, but it didn't seem like a three-year, $40 million deal on a young player. That has potential, and I don't think it's come to fruition. Uh, obviously, in Los Angeles, he's doing other things, but uh, maybe the expectations were too high on him. Maybe we need to keep into consideration that when you're playing with LeBron and Anthony Davis and other role. I mean, Montrez Harrell, Dennis Schroeder, there's a lot of good players that are on this Lakers team I guess the, the the question comes down to do you feel like the Lakers there's a stronger likelihood that the roster that they had last season that there's a stronger likelihood that there's going to be a lot of similar faces or do you feel like there will be a lot of turnover um, and, and and just to kind of add to that if if the roster is pretty much intact that most of the guys come back do you like the Lakers' chances of competing against teams that are improving in the Western Conference and getting healthier? So, you know, it's interesting you bring up Kuzma. I actually think his contract was one of those deals that when it was signed, I thought it was tradable. Um, you know, where Kuzma, I think, had his sights at the start of negotiations and where the Lakers did the deal, I think was a favorable contract. Now, he didn't have the best year last year. So I think some people will look at that and say, boy, that's a bad deal. But I, I disagree. I think you could trade Kuzma. Now, could you trade Kuzma and get a better player? Now, that's a, a different um, discussion. But I think Kuzma is tradable. I think uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, um, I think that contract is, you know, a little – Some not everybody's going to like it, but I do think that's a tradable contract. That's, that's a player that if they wanted to get – if they wanted to target somebody, they maybe could move him. Um, and so, you know, that's, again, what you're looking for. One of the big questions about – what I have is how deep are the Lakers willing to go into the luxury tax? Because they're going to be a luxury taxpayer this year. And so are there constraints on how far they can go? Um, you know, the Lakers obviously have a lot of money institutionally, but you have to, you have to ask yourself, is it worth going so far for role players? Because the guys that they're looking to sign are role players. And so, you know, it's a question of can they afford to keep all three of those guys and keep Kuzma and Caldwell Pope? Or do they look to trade Kuzma or Caldwell Pope so they can afford to keep all three of those guys? And, you know, uh, Horton Tucker will be interesting to see if anybody puts the Lakers to the test with a big offer sheet, um, knowing what their salary commitments are elsewhere. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, those, uh, you know, those, those, those are going to be things that we're really going to be paying attention, you know, and, and are going to be gray areas come August. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, to get back to what you asked me, um, if Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, the Lakers are a devastating team. If Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, they, they probably or maybe beat the Suns. You know, this finals could be Milwaukee, L.A. And, um, you know, I don't know if that would have happened. A, a lot of things happened there. But the hard part for the Lakers is, is getting those two stars. The second hardest part is keeping them healthy. So, um, you know, getting those guys back healthy is their most important offseason move. Now, I know that people 
are going to dream about, you know, can they go big game hunting? Could they somehow figure out a way to make a deal to get Chris Paul? Could they figure out a way to get Kyle Lowry? I mean, is there some hocus pocus in there? I mean, I could pull out a whiteboard, Alan, and draw a bunch of scenarios where I could get you that answer at the end of the scenario. Do I think any of that is likely? Do I think that's where it's headed? I can't look you in the eye and say yes, but I can't say it's impossible. Things happen in the league. But, again, the Lakers' method to improve is through trade. Very unlikely it's going to happen through free agency. Brian Windhorst covers the uh, NBA for ESPN. Brian, final one for you, and um, this is more just uh, you know your thought process on LeBron James coming into his 19th season in the NBA. Um, over, I guess over the last couple of years when he had originally signed with the Lakers, that was his 16th season. Now, obviously, three years in uh, with his contract with the Lakers. What I, what more can, I guess, can we expect from LeBron? I mean, in his 19th season, do you still think that um, he's the he'll be the top two, three best player in the world? Just your, your opinion. I mean, at some point, things have to slow down. I think one of the great things about his game and his skill set um, he can still affect the game in so many different ways. So even if he's not getting to the basket or doing all his damage inside of the paint, he could still affect you with his ability to pass the ball and things along those lines, rebound. C- getting him to have that full off season, which he's going to get this year, um, do, you, do you think the LeBron James that we've been accustomed to for 18 years in a row in the NBA is not something that's going to slow down? Or, or do you think, hey, at some point things have to slow down a little bit? Well, you know, he has slowed down, Alan. If you go if you go back and look at footage from his Miami days, sure. he's not the same player. Sure, he doesn't sure. have the same athleticism. And even from his from, you know, five, six years ago, you know, he sometimes struggles to get past guys. Um, you know, he, he doesn't quite have the same explosion. But if you look at what Chris Paul is doing right now, I mean Chris Paul, you know, he doesn't have you know the you know the greatest athleticism ever, but you watch what he does. Still and effective. How he just outthinks and mm-hmm. out and outmaneuvers everybody in the half court. I mean, he you know puts him in a one on one situation, and he knows every angle. And that's what LeBron does, and that's why he's so amazing. Is that um, you know he has the ability to outthink you in addition to just outplay you. And so I thought he was having an MVP level season before the terrible break of Solomon Hill landing on his foot. And I know that there's been a lot of people say, well, with so many games or Solomon Hill, you know, dove for the ball. Or it was a dirty play, blah, blah, blah. It was just bad luck. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have health and you win. Sometimes you have bad luck. And it was bad luck. But I go back and look the way he was shooting the ball. I go back and look at the way he was delivering and playing. I saw a championship-level player playing. And so – Obviously, he's he's you know, he's not like he was ten years ago, but I still think he's a championship player there. And if you see Chris Paul doing it at thirty six, I can't see why you can't see LeBron doing it at thirty seven. Brian, always appreciate it, man. Love uh, your insight. Um, uh, of course, uh, NBA Finals will continue, so we'll look to see you uh, covering all this NBA stuff around the uh, around uh, ESPN, and then not too long away from NBA free agency starting. So, thank you for taking the time, bud. Thanks. Have a good day. All right, that is uh, Brian Winhorst right there. You know, I, I, I want to actually stay on this topic here because we were hitting on Anthony Davis earlier, and then we started talking about you know LeBron 
I'm, I was mentioning that with uh, with Brian about, okay, when is he going to slow down? And Brian Winters was pretty quick to say that he has slowed down. He slowed down physically, but that's not really what I was meaning. Going into the 19th year, he still impacts the game the same, right? Mentally, it's chess versus checkers. So I, w- I want to talk about LBJ and we come back and some of those expectations going into his 19th year. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on, 17, on 710 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, thank you to Brian Windhorse for uh, taking some time to join the show. Um, ESPN app on iTunes if you want to catch any part of the two hours. Good conversations, good topics. You know, we, we already hit on Laker role players. Um, I thought it was interesting what uh, Brian Windhorse was talking about. Basically, will the Lakers go over the cap? Will they... You know, spend all this additional money, extra money for role players. I, I think that's kind of the key here, and I, I, I find it when before the Lakers were able to get LeBron James in free agency, before Anthony Davis came here on a trade, you know, Lakers spent years kind of swinging and missing for a superstar. Then you got the superstars, and now you know all these other pieces become so critical. Um, were, were the role players that the Lakers had were these the right pieces? and we just didn't get to see it come to fruition because the Lakers were injured, or were they not the right pieces? And I, I think that's what's going to make this offseason for the Lakers fascinating as the Lakers try to figure it out. And there's going to be – many of these guys are in a position where they're not waiting on the Lakers. If Dennis Schroeder doesn't want to sign with the Lake Show, he doesn't have to. Montrez Harrell wants to opt out. He can opt out. If Andre Drummond feels like, hey, I'm going to play for another team, get more touches, and get more money, he'll have that ability to do so. So – We'll see what happens with the Lakers. Throw Alex Caruso in that mix as well. But the one thing that Brian and I were kind of wrapping up our conversation on, I was asking Brian, you know, LeBron's in his 19th year coming up. Um, I don't see LeBron's impact in the game declining. Let me kind of explain what I mean here. So, yes, physically is he different? Of course he is. How can he not? Physically in Miami or physically in Cleveland, what he looked like, he was able to do things, get by players, overpower players. He still does it today, but he's not. You know, he can't do that on a more consistent basis, or he's he's lost a step when it comes to that. But his impact of the game, his impact on a night and night night out basis, I don't think that part has been lost. You know, has he slowed down physically? Yes, but has he gained an incredible amount of knowledge on the mental side of things? When I say chess versus checkers. He's playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. So that's what I met with in that conversation with Windhorse. I don't think his impact is slow down. I really don't. And you know what we, the type of LeBron James we get next year. That's why I was, you know, I've kind of sat here and I've always, I, I talked about from an MVP perspective that I'm already 0 for two, thinking Anthony Davis has a better chance for of MVP than Anthony Davis. No, no, that has not been the the case. Put it this way: I'm never going to guess. I'm never going to go against LeBron again. I kind of learned from my mistakes. I'm, I'm picking LeBron anytime we say who's the best. But I just thought 
We're going to put more on AD's shoulders because of the age of LeBron James. But even going into his 19th season, uh, I, I will not bet against LeBron James. Um, what you're hoping for is that Anthony Davis starts dominating the game offensively, obviously plays 72-plus games, something along those lines, best defensive player in the league, actually wins the award for a defensive player of the year, carries the Lakers on his back for an entire regular season. That's what you're hoping for from Anthony Davis, but LeBron obviously is still the most important piece for the Lake Show. Um, so a couple of things I, I didn't get a chance to get into. The the Lakers' preseason schedule is out. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see this, which is actually a little bit surprising. I, I didn't know the Lakers' preseason. Maybe this is just because... We're still in the NBA Finals, so you just, I guess, didn't put the pieces together that they've already decided what the schedule looks like. How about this for a preseason schedule? <laughs> you know, if we're missing stars in the NBA Finals and we're missing stars uh, because of all the injuries, the NBA is not going to waste any time to kind of start matching up these players, these big-time players against each other. So the first game for the Lakers, October 3rd, already have the schedule out. Brooklyn then Phoenix, then Golden State, then Phoenix, then Golden State, and they close it off against the Sacramento Kings. So the Lakers, right out the gate, will play the James Harden, the Kyries, the Kevin Durants. That's how they're going to start the preseason. And then, oh, by the way, then it's Steph Curry, hopefully a healthy Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and then you got the Phoenix Suns as well uh, coming off their trip to the Western Conference Finals and may very well be the defending NBA champion. So um, the preseason schedule is out. The stars are already going to be talked about for um, getting things started to next season. That was kind of actually a, a little bit surprising, to be honest with you. All right, we've got our final segment coming up next. Stay right here. This is Lakers Talk on 710 ESPN. All right, ESPN app or on iTunes, you can uh, download the full two hours of the Lakers Talk podcast. This all going on a podcast form. By the way, appreciate all the downloads. This show does... Uh, I know it's done on a weekly basis, but does fantastic with our downloads, and I appreciate everybody that goes out of the way to tune in for that. Um, you can catch me tomorrow morning, actually Monday through Friday now, with Travis Rogers. Him and I do a show from 8.55 in the morning till 11 a.m., so we'll continue to keep the conversation going tomorrow. Lakers, we'll talk some Dodgers. Dodgers have lost three in a row after winning nine in a row, so we'll get that conversation going. Shohei Otani hits another home run. Um, a lot of interesting stuff going on locally, so uh, you can catch that show tomorrow, 8.55 in the morning. Um, so I, I played a couple of the Adam Silver clips, and there was a couple I didn't get a chance to play. Um, I, I think this is interesting. Load management in the NBA. Has it worked? Has it been effective? Has, you know, I this was a conversation we we're having this morning. If you said, okay, who's the poster child of load management? Who's the player that you think of when you think of load management? Think of Kawhi. It uh, doesn't mean Kawhi's been healthy the entire time, right? I mean, this year, you know, unfortunately for him, Clippers were in a unbelievable chance to get to the NBA Finals, win a championship, and Kawhi went down with his injury. But take a listen to Adam Silver assessing load management in the NBA. We'll say, again, this is not something that's been talked a lot about in the context of injuries, but resting is up over 100 percent um, this season from last season. And the, the issue which we're trying to get to the root of is, does resting work, frankly? Does load management work? I mean, and there's different theories out there on it. And what's, what's most surprising, as I said, it's, it's not just about injuries up this season. We've seen this upward trend for several years. And you'd like to believe that with the 
investment, the level of sophistication, the number of doctors, um, the, the amount of analytics we look at, the, the data we're able to collect that we couldn't in the, in, in the old days, that we, putting the pandemic aside, would have seen improvements. And we haven't seen that yet. And so, I mean, part of it, of course, load management or resting, there's an economic impact on that. There's no doubt. Adam Silver uh, talking about load management in the NBA. Um, it's interesting he says that resting went up 100%, and obviously that didn't have too much of an effect on the injuries this year. Maybe this year is a bad example. I, what I'd really like to see is this upcoming season when, you know, let's use, for example, Lakers were eliminated the first week of June, and now they're going to get what is essentially a full off season. which, by the way, let me just say this. The way the NBA schedule used to be, if you play to June, um, you know, you're in the NBA Finals, or maybe you got eliminated the Western Conference Finals. So it's this would be the equivalent of a deep playoff run. So it's not like it's, you know, being out in May or something along those lines. So just that's just keeping it in mind because that was the first round, and the NBA playoffs is obviously still going on. But next season, when it gets back to an 82 game schedule, I just mentioned preseason for the Lakers will start October 3rd. So that's when that grind is going to start. Um, I don't think load management is going anywhere. I think this is kind of a strategic thing from a lot of agents and players and NBA franchises. Hey, just be ready for the playoffs. Um, and and I, I think what he says at the end there, it definitely has affected the financial side of things. Well, of course, the the star players aren't playing, and um, this is a star-driven league. I heard Steve Mason was talking about this earlier today on their show. He's on Mason in Ireland, and Michael Thompson was on there with him. He was talking about how in baseball, um, they've done such a poor job of promoting their stars. Where in the NBA, it's all about the stars. You know, if I see Trey Young versus Jamal Murray, that's a good game. It's got less to do with the Atlanta Hawks and the Denver Nuggets. But those are two players that I might go out of my way to watch because they're promoting their stars. What is the NBA without their stars? Um, the NBA Finals might be a good example of this where, you know, you, you think... Okay, who's the star? Okay, let's say it's Chris Paul, but where's Chris Paul right now in top 20 players in the NBA? You think Devin Booker, where is he in that ranking? You think Giannis, where is he in that ranking? Um, it's not just, you know, such a star power driven league that if you have players that are, you know, obviously out of the mix here because of load management, used as an example, um, it is going to be something that affects the game. I want to play one more thing here because Adam Silver goes on to say that he thinks the league is leaning to more parity, which is something that the league has been hoping for. Every market has a shot to win a championship. Take a listen. I see this as hopefully the end of a, of a transition for the league, not just post-COVID, but as we're just by virtue of the teams that we saw in the conference finals, um, a real transition in terms of the league, of the up-and-coming new stars, up-and-coming franchises, um, more parity throughout the league. Again, you know, it, it, it wouldn't be um, true to the data to make too large a point around one season, particularly one that may have been, that was so aberrational. But I at least say it looks like a very positive sign in terms of what the competition we're seeing around the league. This uh, th That part I definitely disagree with when it comes to I, I don't think the league has more parity right now. I think the league was just hit with an incredible amount of injuries. Um, I, I think if you start the NBA next year and everybody's healthy, you're not going to see the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks representing the East and the West. You, if it if this came down to the best teams and the best players, it wouldn't be those two teams. So this is definitely not the season to try to equate 
that, hey, we're moving closer towards parity. Now you're not moving closer towards parity. You just had a injury-riddled season where all your best players couldn't be a part of it. Phoenix is a great example of it, um, getting to the NBA Finals with AD out, Kawhi out, Jamal Murray out. So that was their ticket. Um, all right, that is uh, – we're going to wrap up the show from there. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Steve Paulette, uh, obviously doing all the work in the background here. Like I mentioned, ESPN app or on iTunes – Lakers talk with Alan Sliwa. Feel free to search it. Catch all two hours. Thank you again to Brian Windhorse. LA, thank you for being a part of the show. Back on tomorrow morning at 8.55. As always, LA, have a great rest of your night.